Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. India's rich heritage of traditional medicine like Ayurveda has made the country a powerful player in the natural products industry. As such, Women in Nutraceuticals recently announced the appointment of Rajat Shah as global liaison in India, marking the first official regional liaison outside of the United States. Here to discuss this new role and what it means is Rajat Shah, co-founder of Nutraventia, a wholly owned subsidiary of Inventia Healthcare. Hi, Rajat, and congratulations. Thank you, Danielle. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to have you on. Before we get into everything, why don't you tell us what WIN is and talk about the mission behind it? It is so exciting that um, a few weeks ago, I would have said it from a third-person perspective, but now I can talk about it like I'm part of it. And so I'm really (laughs) proud to talk about WIN on this platform, you know, with you. And I really look at it as a very inspiring nonprofit organization. It's led by prominent leaders in the global nutraceutical industry. And its mission is to, and I quote, empower women in nutraceuticals to unlock their personal and professional potential. And it's not, it's going to do this by basically looking at multiple different avenues, um, addressing gender gap and leadership roles, fostering equitable opportunities across the entire value chain, promoting financial support for female-led businesses, which I think is a big one, mm-hmm. and also encouraging greater participation for women in the nutraceutical research. So something that stuck out for me, Danielle, which I think is incredible, is at a recent WIN presentation, Heather Granata, who serves as a president for WIN, she cited a Gartner research study that revealed that gender-diverse and inclusive teams outperform gender-homogeneous, less inclusive teams by an average of 50%. And I think that's a huge number that a lot of people need to get yeah. behind in our industry by supporting WIN. Wow. Talk to me about the partnership and why it's maybe so important to support women across the supply chain. So I'm honestly very bullish about the pivotal role that I think WIN is going to play in supporting women across our entire global nutraceutical supply chain. And I'm truly excited about the potential it can bring about for change in India. So India for me, it presents, I don't believe any something very unique, but definitely the challenges that it presents are more pronounced given the sheer size, right? We suffer from extremely high rates of women leaving jobs after giving birth or caring for children, and that number is actually as high as 73%. And I think what this is compounded with is the fact that even after they return, for the individuals who return, only 16% actually advance to any kind of senior leadership role, because in that age of, I think, 30 to 40 is when you're climbing that corporate ladder, they've not been part of the workforce. So one of the goals for women in India would be to prioritize support for women to re-enter the workforce and for advancing their career. And I think that's going to be a difficult one, but definitely one of the goals that will have the most amount of impact. Yeah, there's certainly a stigma there with women in that age bracket, but I do feel like it's getting better. When I was younger having children, I feel like it was completely different. And now that I'm a little bit older, my kids are older. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a completely different world, but I, I know that we still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, when you there is a new report that came out by the World Economic Forum 
India is number one in population, number five in GDP, which is fantastic, and it is number seven in its size, right? So it's a, it's definitely an important region to look at. But we actually rank about um, number 127 out of 148 some countries um, in the gender gap. So that's um, something that we can definitely do significantly better on. Yeah, there's a lot of room for improvement there. Jet, I got to say, one of the most memorable Nutra Women Wednesday episodes was when you were a guest, you told me about your upbringing and your appreciation for life and, and how it was really a privilege to be born because you and your sister, you were both born during a time when female infanticide was very common in India. Your mother literally had to fight for you to be born. Did this experience, was, was it sort of a driving force for your involvement in women in nutraceuticals? Absolutely, Daniel, and I'm amazed that you have remembered that. Maya Angelou, who's an American poet, she said something very beautiful. She says that I can be changed by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. My privilege to be born as a second girl child, and I think all the moments since then have continued to really shape my journey forward. And I think there was a study when I was, my announcement for the Global Liaison for India happened for when. I spoke about how my parents used to motivate me to study by threatening to literally marry me off if I did not. Oh, my so God. <laughs> it was really this. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hilarious. When I think about it, if I was to tell my children this, they're like, uh, tell me what? <laughs> so <laughs> it is. Yeah. But it was really, you know, it was a strange but unique way of telling me what the stakes were. So when you look at that, you know, kind of a bringing, it's really instilled a very strong belief about not letting my gender determine my future, which is reflected in my personality and the choices I make, you know, even today. So for me, when I was introduced, when I discovered when there was an immediate connection. And I remember um, talking to Heather Granato and Linda Doyle at Supply Side last October and expressing the need for something like this in India. Because when you look at the Indian industry too, um, there's so many different innovative companies like Nutriventure, of course. And, but participating in activities like this all the way back when most of our times here in India has always been challenging. And this is where the true force of everybody involved in WIND kind of comes in because in less than a few months, they took a very proactive approach in establishing its first global liaison position dedicated to this region. And I'm hoping this can serve as a template for many other regions in the future. So I'm honestly very honored to be chosen to lead this effort. And I'm very excited about contributing meaningfully to this mission. And if I may be bold enough to say, it's like I'm really answering my calling. I love that. And I got to say, I don't mm -hmm. think they could have picked anybody better in India to do this. I'm so glad oh, that you so are sweet. the face of India. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm, I was so glad to read about that, and I'm so happy you're joining me today. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, you know, what are some of the undercurrents you're seeing in the wider industry? What stuck out for me was um, the research and innovation today that's going towards branded ingredients. And it's absolutely required um, because in 2021, there was a CRN survey. Um, and this is, for me, from India, this is like um, – number that's like quite staggering because 80% of your Americans consume dietary supplements today. But more than 70% of these consumers express trusting branded ingredients and having greater confidence. 
and rightfully so, right? So given this consumer's significant trust in branded ingredients, I think it becomes crucial to not compromise on the scientific research and development. So at NutriVenture, for instance, we do implement you know, rigorous measures such as conducting randomized double-blind placebo-controlled studies, which are your gold standard, and also in making sure that we are including healthy populations and adhering to really strict acceptance criteria. Then we take it another step where we select reputed inter international journals and in turn these international journals then have a very meticulous editorial process. So all of this really goes into improving and enhancing the reliability and the trustworthiness of the scientific ingredients. So I think that's one major one. And I also think another big one is the safety and the purity of the ingredients. So again, looking at um, self-affirmed grass or grass clean label project certification, we just got that for two of our ingredients, Termextra and Prolanza. I think those are critical areas because as you continue to invest in this kind of transparency, um, looking at making sure that you're ensuring adherence to potency and study doses, I think it's going to enhance the consumer trust even further. And these transparency, quality, adherence, I think these are going to remain extremely crucial components for our industry to promote a culture of trust within the industry. Yeah, and one thing that I keep thinking about is the stricter standards for international journals for publications. Absolutely. Um, and you kind of mentioned that as well. How does it compare now than, say, 20 years ago when it comes to the standards and how they've maybe evolved over the years? I think, number one, the science has become significantly cleaner. The peer review process is very rigorous. I think if you were to try to publish results that were half-baked, you're not going to get that published easily at all, or you will never get it published. So I think getting that kind of transparency, and you know, we did this, for instance, we actually put one of our research papers last year to open publishing. I'm sorry, I'm, we had that confidence that I'm okay to put it for open publishing first and then go in for the peer review process. I think a lot of brands in the past would have hesitated to do something like that, which I think again goes back to how clean your science can be and how much confidence you have in you know, if there is even any kind of negative a comment, it is transparent and it is you have to look at it as an opportunity to, yeah, maybe we did miss this out in the study and it could be a limitation for the study or no, maybe, you know, that's not um, relevant and I have an opportunity to present my argument. So I think that's where I'm seeing a huge difference. And when we look at papers that were published years ago, and I don't want to take and say that they're not great. They're all amazing research, but every now and then you would see something that's published because of just some sponsorship, um, and now that's changing. Yeah. Are you seeing any trends specific to India? Honestly, really excited about this because you've been such a traditional herb kind of a country. We still are to a large extent. In fact, during COVID, where every other country's use of supplements and you know vitamins kind of grew in india the category that grew the most was herbs and botanicals which was um you know interesting and of course not surprising the industry has had actually from the predictable trends of say 10 percent it's now about 20 it went up to 26 percent during covid and now it's stabilized to some 16 to 80 percent which is still surpassing your global industry trends 
And the industry itself, I feel, Daniel, has seen a holistic change underpinned by science. And what I mean by that is you're seeing a huge surge in human clinical trials, which is validating the claims of the producers. And for us, you know, we've known, I think, traditionally what a particular herb does, but to now be able to go back and establish that in a scientific way, I think is huge. And this change is almost irreversible now, and the shift is very positive. Another major thing, which I think is going to be a huge catalyst for growth, is in India, there is a formation of the Nutraceutical Task Force, whose goal is to shape policies to transform the Indian nutraceutical industry, which is, say, an $18 billion industry today, to an almost $100 billion industry in, by dollar industry by 2030, which is less than seven years away. <laughs> So there are really some concrete efforts top down to make this a reality. You know, Rajat, you mentioned a statistic a few minutes ago about India and the gender gap. I'm wondering, mm-hmm. you know, is there a gap in research for women? Like, are they participating in research more these days? You know, we it's um, it's surprising that you bring that up because we just talked about this like a few minutes ago with the team. And there is definitely a gap, but we're seeing the gap close further because in both of our studies which we did actually one was in active individuals both in active individuals and one in more recreationally active both saw an almost north of 50 percent participation from women so i think more and more you're seeing more women definitely participating in the clinical studies that are done here in india and that will definitely help in making sure that the products work for them as well Okay, great. Yeah, that's good to hear. Another trend, the proliferation of AI. Now, you've got a tech background. How yeah. is AI being applied to this industry? So, like you said, I mean, I have a computer science engineer by training, and that's my um, degree, and I've spent years developing software. So, I've always been an early adopter, and for the most part, I'm very excited about AI. So, think about, Daniel, you know, Earlier, we had computers that were filling rooms, right, to now we are looking at portable devices. We literally wear a computer on our wrist, um, on our fingers, right? So AI is really reaching that similar level of mainstream use. It's becoming more accessible and pervasive, and it's going to eventually become more seamlessly uh, woven into our digital experiences, giving us intelligent insights and unprecedented convenience. So I really believe there is something in it for everyone in our supply chain. So take, for example, finished formulation brand. And AI can give them the power to personalize the recommendations. You can actually analyze individual customer data. You can look at creating tailored supplement suggestions based on factors like age, sex, health conditions, goals, and making sure that you are providing suitable options and dosages for each person. Similarly, for brands or for ingredient manufacturers, it can really help in product development. And that's kind of where I use it a lot because it can help you analyze massive amounts of scientific literature, clinical studies, consumer feedback to really guide that formulation process for innovative and effective ingredients that truly meet today's consumers' preferences. So it can help accelerate the discovery of new compounds, potential interactions and safety profiles. So I truly believe that overall, um, on the positive side, it's going to really help speed the movement of new ideas in the marketplace. So what 
computers or the internet did for us. And I know there were pitfalls with that as well. There are going to be pitfalls with this too, but on the positive side, it's going to really make sure we are going to be able to do things that we'd only dreamed of in the past. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. It sounds like you're excited about it. You're embracing it. Some people see it as a threat. You mentioned the positive side of it. What are some maybe negative sides of it that you foresee? So there are a couple, right? I mean, you have concerns with it in terms of ethical consideration, privacy issues, surveillance, the biases that can be built into the algorithms, which can have some major concerns. And for me, the biggest ones are in the creation of deep fake content, which can really raise ethical and societal challenges. So I think it really is crucial to approach the development and implementation responsibly. Just for those who don't know, can you kind of explain what deep fake is? So deep fake would be when I can bury information, images so deep where so many backlinks that it's difficult to prove that it is wrong, right? So I could plant information, drive, you know, a personal agenda, political agenda, or a competitive agenda in ways in which it can really harm the, you know, the fabric of our society overall. And I think that's where it's very concerning because today with generative AI, and when I say generative AI, it's when I can literally in mid journey, I can give it a prompt and it will spit out amazing images, which look like I shot the picture, right? So that's where it's going to be tricky that how do you filter out what's fake and what's real? Yeah. So I think a famous example was a president saying something that he hadn't said, but because there's so Mm -hmm. much video of him already, it's easy for them to manipulate it, make him do and say things that he normally wouldn't say. And so like you mentioned, a lot of people would not know the difference. So how do you find a difference that that is the challenge? Right. Absolutely. So for instance, if somebody wanted to go start talking about, say, vitamin C, okay, in the worst possible way to say, how it's terrible for health because they have a new product and they want to promote that. I mean, that's technically possible. And an average Joe who would not, you know, care to do as much research, it would just become very influenced easily because they'll just see it all over the place and it would be so deep where you really won't be able to tell the difference. Yeah, that that part is truly scary. On another note, what is next for you? Any updates or anything that you're excited about? So I'm definitely most excited about my new role as global liaison. I'm trying to take it one step at a time because there's so much to be done. So we are looking at building an entire community here in India, starting with sponsors, members, partners to really be able to do justice to the effort here and also looking at, you know, partnership with different government organizations. So I think that's got my hands full at the moment. And of course, on the NutriVenture front, we have some exciting new studies that are coming out for Term Extra, for ProLanza. Um, those are our two key ingredients. Once the low-dose bioavailable turmeric, which we do have, um, we are finalists in the NutriIngredients USA nutrition uh, category. Thank you. Yeah, so I, I'm going to say this very humbly, that uh, the journey has been amazing, irrespective of what the award, um, uh, who the award goes to, whether we win or lose, but it's exciting. So looking forward to that. Yeah, so much to look forward to. And 
We've yeah. got the awards airing on July 12th, so we'll all have to tune in to see if you won. Rajette, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. I'm so glad your parents didn't marry you off and you are joining me here today <laughs> as, as a global liaison in India for win. <laughs> Rajette Shah, thank you so much for joining me here on the NutriCast. Same here, Daniel. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure talking to you. If you like what you just heard, you can subscribe to the NutraCast wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head to NutraIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutra-related content. Thank you for listening. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutraCast next week.